guys, Carmen Schober here with the No Apologies podcast, a Stacios podcast. If you are a longtime listener, you are probably like, wow, it has been a while because it has been a while. Ian and I have been very busy, Ian doing um, legislation stuff and lawyer stuff and me writing books and having babies. And we both are still, you know, Stacios is alive and kicking, but this podcast has taken a little bit of a break, but we're back today and I'm very excited about that. Our first guest today after that long break is Levi Russell. And I think you guys are gonna really enjoy this conversation. I always like podcasts where I learn things and I think we're gonna learn a lot. Um, Levi is an assistant teaching professor at the University of Kansas School of Business and is the chairman and fellow in economics at the, is that called Leonine? Is that how you say that? Yep, Leonine right. Institute for Catholic Social Teaching. Levi grew up in Kansas, which I'm in Kansas as well. And Ian went to college in Kansas, where he currently resides with his wife and three children. He earned a PhD in economics from Kansas State University in 2013. And his research covers a wide array of topics, including agriculture, political economy, and Catholic social teaching. Levi regularly writes op-eds and has been featured in the Washington Examiner, Real Clear Energy, and many other publications. So you're a smart dude. <laughs> you know a <laughs> lot about a lot of things is what I took away from that All biography. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks so much, Levi, um, for joining me. I don't know a lot about economics. I know the bare basics. I read Thomas okay. Sowell's book a long time ago, super yeah. eye-opening and helpful, but my brain just doesn't work like that stereotypically a woman <laughs> like I know some women are good <laughs> at economics but uh sure. I I'm all into more creativity and culture I write Christian romance novels for a living so oh, cool. I'm excited to learn from you my question is this is going to be probably the bulk of our our conversation is anybody who's being honest looks out and sees that the current American economy sucks it's bad it's and it doesn't seem to be getting better and when we like talk about that particularly on social media you know people complaining about gas prices or inflation there's either like a lot of shared mutual misery uh or there's people who pop on and are very quick to say like oh well you know it's the price we pay for you know having to respond to a <laughs> pandemic uh right. it's because of the ukraine stuff it's because of capitalism that's my favorite one it's capitalism yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like why does capitalism suck all of a sudden though what kind of <laughs> right. sudden thing so from somebody who knows a lot about economics please tell us why the economy sucks so bad yeah so i think to understand how uh, why things are so bad now, you have to go back to, of course, you know, March of 2020 and think about what happened then. And um, I'm, you know, having the benefit of hindsight at this point, I think you have to separate the response uh, to the, uh, you know, <laughs> the ILI, the influenza-like illness that is uh, COVID-19 uh, from the disease itself. And there's lots of reasons to do that. You know, we know now that the sort of cooler heads at the time were correct and that the, the lockdowns, even to the extent that the U.S. had lockdowns, were much more harmful to people in sort of a global sense, right? In, in, in the sense of 
uh, you know, all of the ways in which people can be harmed by things uh, than the disease itself. Um, and I don't think that, uh, well, hopefully you don't get, you know, completely, you know, KGB'd for saying stuff like that now <laughs> at this point, right? I mean, you know, uh, there was certainly a time where you couldn't even say that stuff. I'm sure my <clears throat> my employer would not like me saying that, but I you know, said anyway. So, you know, we have that first. And, and the response itself was essentially to treat the entire economy across, you know, at least the Western world, uh, like a light switch and you just shut it off. Um, well, uh, you can, I guess you can do that as we've demonstrated, right? Uh, this massive curtailment in our, our rights and, and in, in our sort of uh, ability to function uh, as an economy, right? And this, you have this complex system when you shut it off, um, you can't just turn it back on, right? You can't just move things back you know, easily into the way they were because everything is so complex. Everything is so interdependent. Maybe it's great to have a complex interdependent system in the sense that um, it gives everybody all this wonderful wealth and all these, uh, you know, perhaps the capital that you need for innovation and all of this sort of thing. But when things go wrong, they go very, very, very wrong. And so, uh, of course, there's a wide range of industries that have been uh, horrifically impacted by um, this whole thing. And what like I think you said, I remember lots of warnings of this happening. I remember that. And that was just yeah. ignored. That was treated yeah. like you were if you if you cared about that, you couldn't possibly care about the fact that, you know, COVID was a thing like it, <laughs> right. it's yeah. just infuriating to see now, you know, right. that like, yeah. like you said, oh, you're just worried about the stock market. What about grandma? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, right. what if grandma doesn't have any money? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, yeah. What if what if grandma can't have, you know can't pay her heating bill? Yeah. 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 Um, Which I think what you're saying, like those issues are all interconnected, but I think the media obviously plays a huge role in getting people to be like ridiculously um hyper fixated on one right. problem and arguably never the actual real problem, in my opinion. But Sorry. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and so I think you have to look at um, certain things that have carried through from that point in time, things that are, uh, I think, still in really, really, really bad shape um, compared to where they were back in 2020. And so if you look at sort of like the underlying economic data, so we go into recession in 2020 officially, right, according to the numbers. And then as um, and then we get two big, you know, stimulus uh, packages. Uh, the first one, um, I think, you know, you, you know, based on the math that the macroeconomists do, I'm not a macroeconomist, but I think that, I think that frees me up to just sort of um, not, uh, not dig into all the, the goofy models that they have and all that sort of thing and, and, and try to talk about it um, uh, a little bit more at arm's length. But, you know, there's a sort of Keynesian perspective, right? This idea that, well, you know, if, if, aggregate demand drops if you know aggregate supply is having problems right the, the the supply chain's breaking down right there's all these terms that people know now like supply chain right and uh, you know maybe we need to get things started again okay well so we got this huge stimulus and and you've got people i remember uh for instance ben shapiro is one of those you know famous uh, sort of center right republican commentators and he's saying well you know uh, this is justifiable because the government forced you to shut everything down so therefore it's you know, it's not so bad if they're, you know, paying to dig you back out, right? So we had the first one. And, uh, you know, it seemed, I think, to have some effect with with a bit of a lag, you know. Um, and, and this time, 
as someone who's old enough to remember the 2008, 2009, you know, that recession and that $787 billion bailout of the banks and all that stuff. This time, you know, we gave cash to people, <laughs> to, you know, the average Joe. And uh, so that was an interesting thing to see um, how that worked. Um, but then the second stimulus, I think, is, is the real the one that really caused a lot of problems that are following us now. So early in 2021, you know, now Joe Biden is president and you've got his economic team and you've got Congress, uh, which of course is controlled um, on both sides uh, in both houses by the Democrats, uh, very slim in, in the Senate, but, um, and you have uh, this massive, massive stimulus package uh, for the second round that <laughs> that is uh, uh, inadvisably massive, right? And it's not just for people, it's for businesses. It's, uh, it's going to state and local governments, um, a lot of which still hasn't even been spent, right? Uh, and you've, you see, if you, if you look, you know, you see these local governments or, or state governments just frantically trying to figure out what the heck to spend this money on, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know this what happens like if you spend it, you know, like what are the strings attached to it? We see sure. that here, mm -hmm. like in the local Kansas schools, there's all these, you know, things relating to vaccines and masks and stuff. So they're wondering, sure. like, you know, if we, yeah. if we actually use this money, then what are we, what are the conditions attached? Well, and, and even just the basic thing, like, well, this is a, you know, this is an investment for infrastructure, some terminology. Okay, well, fine. But, you know, you can't just um, use this money to build a bridge. Well, that that creates, you know, a financial obligation in the future because you got to maintain that bridge. And so whatever, if, if the, these things that you're buying with this money are fixed investments, well, they have to be maintained. And so that puts a financial obligation for the future. So you have the stimulus and a lot of even Obama's team, right? They're still in the commentary app. They're still talking and stuff. And they're saying, hey, look, you know, this seems like it's a little bit too big. It's a little bit outsized. And, you know, I'm somebody where the, the amount that they gave to individuals was not the problem. The problem was the whole thing, right? And so you could have shrunk it down. And me as sort of a populist type, put that money in the pockets of normal people and you probably wouldn't have as had have had as much of a problem. But what we see is a massive drawdown in things like credit card debt and you see an increase in savings, right? You see people starting to kind of put away a little bit of money because they get these huge checks, right? Like I've got three kids, my wife doesn't work. So we got a huge payout, right? From that, that check in terms of our finances, right? And that's all great. You know, uh, I'm, I'm the chairman and a, and a fellow in economics at the Leonine Institute. And, you know, one of the big things that we're trying to do is, is trying to, um, you know, help people pay down their debt, help Catholics pay down their debt. And we, uh, we, have, a, we have a paper on uh, usury, um, obviously very against that uh, whole concept. And so to me, I, you know, I was last year looking at the data, it's like, man, this is great, you know. Uh, but it doesn't last. And as... Uh, the commentariat expected. And, and again, it wasn't just Obama's old folks. It was also, you know, of course, people on the Republican side or, or you know, just more conservative type people were also saying, gosh, you know, this is going to be some really nasty, nasty inflation. So uh, that's exactly what we got. And specifically, people think a lot about fuel, right? And so there's two things that that are really that go through my mind every day in terms of, uh, you know, the, the lockdown or the shutdown in 2020 and how that's still sort of bearing its, you know, poisonous fruit today. 
And the two things are uh, one, um, our ports and the whole sort of global interconnectedness that we have. And the other one is, um, uh, is oil and gas and fuel, right? And when I say oil and gas, I mean like natural gas that we use to fuel, you know, uh, I don't know, something like 60% of our power plants. Okay. As we have left coal behind to some extent to, towards these renewables, which I call unreliables, um, Michael Schellenberger, that's his term. Uh, he's an, he was an IPCC uh, author. So, I mean, he's not a dumb guy. I mean, you know, he knows, he understands this stuff. As we have moved to those and we have moved off of coal, we have moved more and more dependent on natural gas. And so it's not just natural gas. Like, you know, if you have a natural gas uh, to, to heat your home, it's also impacting you to, uh, uh, to, for your air conditioner, right? Because that's where you get your electricity. And uh, you, you mentioned you live in Kansas. Well, the Kansas City area, um, we're going to see about a 25% increase in our energy bills um, in terms of the per kilowatt hour price um, wow. because natural gas prices are so high and, and because of the unreliability of, of these so-called renewables. And that's like crazy on top of everything else, <clears throat> yeah, you know, right. what you're paying for gas and oh. Yeah. So, so you look at, so take the first thing, the ports, right? So you have the, you know, obviously we all know we're highly dependent on, you know, East Asia for a lot of things, right? Eastern Asian countries for a lot of the things that we have, right? Electronics and all of this, you know, these goofy, horrifying (laughs) devices. And so you look- Ruiners, lifesavers, slash life ruining devices. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Yeah. I, you know, I sound like a 35 year old boomer, but man, these things are just, they're just awful. So, so if you look at uh, the world trade organization put together an index of sort of the, the efficiency and the health of the ports um, around the planet uh, in uh, right after 2020 started, right? So during 2020 and right now, as, as far as the, the data that I was last able to look at, you have, um, it's like, I think it's 167 ports in the, in the, on the planet, okay, of the, that they're looking at. The two worst ports in terms of efficiency, effectiveness, health, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, the two worst ports are in California. So globally, right? So we're talking about, you know, okay, maybe, you know, the developing world has fewer ports in general, but even their ports are doing better than ours are. They are moving ships in and out more effectively and faster than we are. Wow. Okay. Our best port. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, that's because California has the most, one of the most intense, strict, Democrat-led responses to COVID-19, right? You know, the funny thing is, I think some of that is true. Part of it is just the stupidity of the U.S. in terms of the, what do they call the Jones Act, which is a, a sort of a pro-union um, ah. legislation that, that really inhibits our ability to use shipping, uh, you know, from other countries. Gotcha. And uh, the other thing is that the, the this is sort of uh, kind of a, a confluence of factors that really weren't intended to be this way. Um, California passed a, uh, you may be aware of this, but California has a very sort of anti, they, they want... They want people who are employing people to officially employ them, right? They don't want any of this, you know, independent contractor stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So like Someone. Uber was fighting this, right? And then people were talking about it in terms of Uber, but here's the deal. It also has a huge impact on the trucking industry because a lot of trucks are owner operators, right? So, you know, I might have a transportation company that kind of connects a load with a truck, 
right? And you might be a truck driver. Well, I'm not employing you, right? We, we have a contract, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you own your truck and you drive your truck and I give you loads. Well, California doesn't like that. And so that has massively hampered our ability to unload these ships. And they're just sitting out there. I mean, late last year, I think in November, October, November, there were like 65 container ships, right? And these things aren't small, you know, like, yeah. I mean, these are massive yeah. vessels and they're just sitting there. Um, and, and you get people and they buy it. Oh, people are just waiting for their Pelotons. I think they can wait a little longer. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you and your buddies in the Hamptons are that way, but the rest of us are just trying to, you know, fix our cars, you yeah, stick people, you know, it's, it's sick. I know. I know. And it's so, it's just, I feel like they really have shown, I'm very skeptical of a lot of like the privilege talk. I think it's way overused as like a yeah. political weapon. Sure. Um, but I think a lot of these folks, these Biden administration people, I think privilege very much applies to this idea. Yeah. Like you said, like, right. no, I'm not waiting for a Peloton, but I am worried <laughs> yeah. about the fact that my groceries are astronomically yeah. more expensive than they used to be. I'd, I'd but, have to sell a kidney to get a Peloton. What are you talking about? You yeah. Know? Right. But they um, don't know. They don't have a concept, you know? No. Not at all. I mean, yeah. I mean, these people haven't stopped at a gas station in decades, right? I mean, yeah. you know, uh, these people. Joe Biden doesn't even know how to drive, you know? um, <laughs> or ride a bike. Yeah, right. Yeah, probably for other reasons, but <laughs> but in addition to the fact that he's rich, so you've got the ports. Our, our best port, I think, is in um, Virginia, and it's like number forty-three out of one hundred and sixty-seven. So all of that is very bad, right? And we have a transportation secretary that you know. I mean, he was the mayor of uh, you know what is it? Uh, Someplace uh, in Indiana, right? Yeah, place. I mean, he must know everything about transportation, but all he's just, he's just walking around, like Tucker Carlson says, he's walking yeah. around telling us roads are racist, you know, and yeah. all this stupid crap. That's helpful. Yeah, so obviously they're not doing anything useful. Right. So the other thing I think is interesting is you look at, um, you look at fuel and you look at oil and gas. Um, and, and just one example recently is... Uh, uh, so there's been all these letters recently, and today supposedly a lot of the oil uh, and refining companies executives are meeting with the EPA uh, uh, secretary Granholm, and there have been these letters flying back and forth. And <laughs> so I read I read Exxon's response, and they're like, "Look, we lost 22 billion dollars in 2020 because people just stopped driving because they couldn't. Right? They were essentially held at gunpoint by their governors and told not to go to work." Right. So, um, so they lost $22 billion. They said that in the last two years, they have, they have borrowed $30 billion of new refining investment. Um, they're adding this year, they will open a new, not a new, <laughs> we can't open new refineries because the EPA won't let us. Um, they're adding capacity to an existing refinery, um, a massive capacity, uh, this year. And, um, you have, uh, so this year they've made $5 billion. So they've sort of recouped maybe a quarter of their losses from 2020. And it's like, look, you know, this isn't, you know, okay, all this stuff about, oh, evil corporations, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine, sure. But that's not the situation here, right? <laughs> this, you know, they're, they're, they, they, they suffered a policy-induced loss mm-hmm. and they're trying to recoup it. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's saying, well, uh, you know, so you've got people on both sides saying, well, you know, it's very difficult to ramp up this refining and, and all of that sort of thing. 
I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I will say, so there's a lot of claims out there about oil, uh, uh, you know, the extraction part of it. And yes, uh, the Biden administration has definitely um, curtailed our ability to do that. And in the way they're doing it, because they, what they say is, what do they say? Like, oh, there's 9,000 leases out there. Okay, fine. The, there's, there's, there's leases there, but you keep killing the permits, right? So, you know, you can't, you can lease that land, right? That land is available, but number one, you have to go find the oil. <laughs> so those leases may or may not have oil under them. That's, mm -hmm. you know, economically extractable, even at this price. And number two, um, you have to, you have to have a permit that allows you to drill and extract the oil. Okay. And what they do is keep killing those permits. And that process is a very long process anyway, because not only do you have the EPA on you, you have the state government on you, you have tribal governments that might have some kind of complaint or issue. And the issue, and part of the problem is they deal with these in sequence. So you, you deal with all the EPA stuff, Okay, well, then it's the state. Now it's their turn to, you know, get their money out of this, these companies, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, whatever, fine. But uh, I know that uh, Rep. Kevin McCarthy, the, the sort of minority leader in the Senate or in the House, um, he, has, um, he has a bill that, would, that part of what it would do is collapse all this together. So in other words, when there's a permit... All of these groups have to work together, the EPA, the state, the tribal governments or whatever. They have to call, come together and say, here's what we want, you know, and make it and streamline it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, we have hundreds of years of oil underneath us here in the U.S. at our current usage rates, which are very, very, very high. Right. They're, we're not going to run out of oil. <laughs> okay. And the, the way, you know, you think about, you know, I mean, natural gas is extremely clean. Um, even from the, you know, green sociopaths, even, <laughs> even by their standards, it's very green and cars these days basically don't pollute hardly anything. You have, you know, particulate matter, but I mean, that's not, um, that's not nearly as bad as it was, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. so some of these complaints are just silly. Um, right. That's the, I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, I'm no expert, but I've put together enough to be like, this is an unnecessary disaster and that's yeah. like the worst part you know there are disasters yeah. that happen because of things that you know whatever you, you you can look at the events and be like well that's that's why it had to be this way it right. doesn't have to be this way yeah nothing's <laughs> inevitable no nothing's yeah. inevitable like and right and, and so they 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 keep pushing this green transition right that's the latest rhetoric that's that's the that's the most that's the rhetoric they're pushing the most, right? They keep saying, well, this is a transition period. And it's like, you know, we're, we got about 25% of the so-called green new deal that, that Biden is able to do with his administrative structure. And it's this painful, right? Yeah. Imagine uh, what we would be in for if they really passed the whole thing. I mean, you know, we would have $10 a gallon diesel and people wouldn't, you just wouldn't be able to get your food because you think about like, yeah. you know, so we talked about the ports earlier okay, well, even supposing we can get the stuff, now we have to move it, okay? Yeah. That's such um, a good point that, like, yeah. this is just a little taste. And, like, yeah. this is just a little taste of what they want. This isn't right. even, you know, like... F fuel but, prices aren't, you know, it's not just you getting to work. It's literally how you get everything to your house. Yeah. 
It is impossible live, for you to eat without. If you live food. in a communist shithole, it's how you leave. <laughs> you know, right? Like, yeah, there you, you go. <laughs> you like are stuck in one of yeah. these places that are the worst. Then that's that's how you get out. Right. Oh. And you know, I mean, it's interesting. Some of this energy stuff. So, um, Smithfield Foods uh, is a pork, uh, you know, mm. company, right? So they have a an eighteen hundred employee facility in California where they produce pork uh, for that area of the country. They are shutting that down, and you know they're going to they're going to basically get rid of their herd, um, and then they're going to start shipping. They're going to they're going to now. Are people in California not going to eat pork? Well, no, they're going to get pork, but they're going to get it from the Midwest. So California's energy policies are so stupid that, like, I think I think they said it was something like the energy cost, sort of like per unit of output, is three and a half times higher in California than it is in the Midwest. So even at current diesel prices, they're going to truck pork from the Midwest, you know, from Iowa, say, or Nebraska, all the way to California. Because that's how insane, you know, and so it's just a small taste of how crazy. And you know, so then what we have now is at the federal level, we have people that are that stupid running the EPA. Um, and I say stupid, but really what I mean is they're sort of looting the, the, the they're, they're looting the federal budget to pay their friends off. And, I, and I've said this in, a, in an op-ed in Real Clear Energy. And I think this because there's literally no other reason for what they're doing. Right. They're saying we're going to force this transition. Well, there is no transition. OK, you know, one of the biggest products or one of the, the biggest uh, components of like an electric vehicle battery. Right. So let's say, you know, let's say part of the transition is is uh, is vehicles. OK, if we used 100 percent of the available lithium uh, that we mine across the entire planet just to make Tesla cars for the United States, which we couldn't do. We use about 45% of that lithium for other things like lubricants um, and uh, uh, other batteries and stuff like that. But even if we did, okay, <laughs> we could uh, we could only sell about a million Tesla cars a year. And in the even in 2021, when there were very few new car sales, there were 15 million new cars sold. Wow. And so they're just there just are not the resources to do what they're saying yeah. that they want to do. Yeah. Even even on a 20 year timeline, okay? And on top of that, okay, so well, we're going to we're going to mine lithium here in the US. Okay? Well, <laughs> we have one lithium mine that's very small in Nevada, and there are currently pending two permits for two more mines. But the problem is, guess who's holding up those mine permits for environmental reasons. Mm. The, U the UK is going to declare lithium a 1A car uh, uh, carcinogen or something like that. It's extremely dangerous stuff, right? So, you know, we get a lot of it from Nepal, for instance, right? And what is it doing? It's poisoning rivers. It's killing livestock. Um, it's horrible, this process. And lithium mining isn't like, you know, it's not, it's not Minecraft, right? It's not, a, <laughs> it's not a gold mine, right? You don't, you don't dig this little tunnel and, you know, no, you strip mine the earth. You find an area where the, the content of the dirt is slightly higher in these, these elements. And you, you just basically strip the ground um, and then you process it. Um, cobalt is a, is a huge component of the, the best lithium ion batteries we have. We get almost all of it from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. 
and it is mined by hand by slaves, uh, child slaves in a lot of cases. And it's like, okay, so you're worried about emissions, which aren't even really a problem that much, you know, relatively speaking. And yet there's all these other environmental and human rights problems that you don't even want to address, which are horrifying. Yeah. Right. And they're like, oh, well, we're just going to use a different material. It's like, first of all, in the case of lithium, no, you're not. Um, And in the case of cobalt, okay, fine. If you switch to some other material, then the battery is either not as efficient or it can't hold as much energy. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, there's all these problems. There's a reason why, you know, electric vehicles are something like 2.8% of the fleet Mm -hmm. in the United States. They're 1% of the worldwide fleet. Yeah. What you're the, the common theme that you're reminding me of curious, like, (laughs) you know, I'm thinking about the democratic party, right? Because these are generally the people who are out here, very passionate about changes, transitions, all these different things. And so often, I mean, you never, you rarely hear discussions of things like this, like the fact that, you know, this transition, everything, you know, Thomas Sowell, I think famously said, everything is a trade-off, you know, everything is a trade-off. You're not going to have this little utopia where, you know, your decisions that you make are not going to have any kind of negative consequence. And because of the media being so married to the Democratic Party, I think it has destroyed people's ability to think about this, right? Like, I mean, yeah. like you're saying, like all these yeah. things, they, it, sound, it seems so good to them. They are so adamant that it's obviously the right thing to do, the good thing to do, the moral thing to do. Yeah. And just a little bit more careful consideration of all the different things that are in play would make any rational, compassionate person stop and be like, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. That's not like yeah, the most yeah. compassionate thing you can do. Maybe this alternative um, isn't perfect, but it's still better than that. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's just, There's a reason why we're using what we're using. Exactly. And, and, like, and the, yeah. And, and you know, they have all these goals. We'll see. They, you know, you get a lot of, I, I've been digging into this energy thing a lot lately and you get the impression from the, the people pushing this, right? The people who have a reason to try to convince everyone that, oh, it's inevitable. We're going to do this. We're going to change to that energy, blah, blah, blah. No, this policy stuff, because and, and one of the points I made in one of my articles recently was um, he, you can't, the EPA cannot make things cheaper. All they can do is make the thing you're currently using more expensive. And that's what they're trying to do. And, and if you look at, and I even called one of the, uh, uh, the, the people who work on the Energy Information Administration's estimates of, you know, how things are going to play out over the next 20, 30 years. Um, and I was talking to him and he's like, normally the phone calls I get are like, why aren't you assuming more, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, EV adoption and stuff, uh, electric vehicle adoption? And he's like, look, it's just not there. It's just financially not going to be the case, right? And you got to think about things like, okay, the more cars you add, right? We already talked about how the kilowatt hour price is going to go up massively because of the way natural gas is right now, Mm -hmm. natural gas prices. Every time you add a car to the grid that you're going to charge up overnight, I'm just going to charge it overnight. No problem. Every time you add one of those, the price goes up a little bit more. Right. And it's like, we do the the resources for that do not exist. Right. We would have to print, print $50 trillion. And maybe they will. (laughs) And and, and, right. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, we've seen how bad, 
a yeah. you know a trillion and a half is right in in a short period of time right and and yeah. so you look at now um we had a negative gdp growth print for the first quarter of this year so that's you know we're halfway to an official recession right a recession is two quarters of negative gdp growth i think the first quarter was 1.5 negative um, right now, the Atlanta Fed is is projecting that we are going to be at zero for this quarter. So you look at the first half of the year, you know, we're at minus 1.5, right? Now, next Monday, they're going to get manufacturing data. They're going to update that forecast for this quarter. And I think it's going to go negative. Gotcha. So the the over tr- over a trillion dollars that they printed early last year um, is already run out. We're seeing layoffs start to come up again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We've got unemployment rate is starting to rise. You know, the, the inflation rate, in other words, you know, the, the year over year inflation. So like, you know, this June versus last June, right? Uh, in May, it was 8.6%. Um, that's going to keep going. And um, there is no end in sight, not because of, you know, Putin's price hike, which first of all was totally avoidable, in my mind, it's very clear that with Trump, you had someone who, you know, they, the enemies of the United States could not predict, right? This guy, he was, I mean, supposedly he told, he told Putin, like, if you invade Ukraine, then all those beautiful buildings in Moscow are going to be firebombed. And it's like, maybe he was bluffing, but you know, you <laughs> yeah. don't know, right? Don't you got know. a guy who's like, you know, he's not yeah. just some stupid sap who's been in the government for 50 years. Yeah. He might be serious. <laughs> And supposedly he said the same thing to the folks in Beijing. You mm-hmm. attack Taiwan, then, you know, we're going to firebomb, you know, uh, Beijing. So once, once you have the Afghanistan debacle, the absolute tragedy of yeah. stupidity there. Well, I mean, come on, like Vladimir, you don't have to, you know, again, I'm not Vladimir, but I don't, I don't, I don't even know who he is. I don't care about him. Okay. Like whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, if I'm, but if I'm rational, I'm seeing that and I'm like, okay, this might be the time to strike, right? This might be the time to invade Eastern Ukraine where everybody speaks Russian anyway yeah, and reclaim our territory that NATO has, you know, slowly taken from us over time. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that's good or bad, right? I mean, Ukraine is like the, the fourth most corrupt country on the planet. Right. Right. By, by the sort of, you know, normal corruption measures. So yeah. It's like, I think it's, it's very obvious. There's no good guy. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Ukraine, <clears throat> outrage outpouring um while i'm sure on some level motivated from a genuine place of caring about human suffering for the most part most of these people know literally nothing about the ukraine or or russia or international politics at large Um, it was very interesting to see the collision of like ukraine support and like pride month because you know in the ukraine same-sex marriage is banned. And I don't think any of these people know that. <laughs> or, you know, and yeah. so you're just like, whatever, whatever yeah. your gut, whatever, you know, legacy media tells you is your thing mm-hmm. that you should be worried about. Generally, a lot of Americans just hop right on. Yeah, right. Take <laughs> the ride, no matter yeah. how many times it disappoints you. Just keep no, going. We, we really have a, a an incredible, uh, you know, new version of Pravda, right? Um, even Pravda couldn't have dreamed about this kind of, you know, popular mass psychosis. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you look at 
all of this, right? So then supposedly the sanctions on Russia, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, in my mind, the sanctions are really on us because, you know, the ruble, the, the Russian currency has just gone to the moon. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so to the point where they are selling oil to their allies at a massive discount. And they can because their currency is so valuable, right? Yeah. And so who's losing out on that? We are, right? We are the ones paying for this. You know, on the refineries themselves here in the U.S., just to, something that I didn't touch on yet, they're expanding. They're, they're Right now they're running at 94% uh, capacity, which is dangerous because you're when you're running at that kind of capacity, you are putting off maintenance and stuff like that. So it's actually... You know, it really needs to be lower than that because, you know, things have to be down so that they can fix things up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, part of this is, you know, when we talk about the Federal Reserve, we talk about this, this term called forward guidance. Right. Where it's like, well, what is the Fed going to do next time? Well, we listen to what they say in the meeting and then we forecast what they're going to do. Right. Well, the forward guidance from the Biden administration was we are going to end fossil fuels during their term. Right. During his term. And so you see um, there's this other thing called uh, it's called RINs. It's a, uh, we, we, we blend a certain amount of ethanol right into the fuel. And so a lot of these uh, uh, refiners are, you know, converting their refineries over to biofuels. And again, of course, because we cannot have any green, what we call greenfield projects, we can't build a new refinery because the EPA won't let us for 45 years now. Um, we have to convert existing oil refineries into biofuel refineries. And so again, we could have more refining going on like we did in 2019. We could have that capacity back, but we can't because the forward guidance says we are going to end your industry in five years. So go ahead and invest tens of billions of dollars Right. And the latest rhetoric is, oh, this is we're at war. This is for the war. And it's like nobody declared war. You know, what are you talking about? Uh-huh. This is their fight. We don't have any troops on the ground there yet. I mean, we might. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it was funny. I, I was telling my students last semester, I was like, hope you all got your draft stuff, you know, ready to go. Uncle Joe's going to send you. <laughs> yeah. And with not a care in the world. And no. I mean, just like, you know, you brought up the, uh, the Afghanistan debacle. Oh my gosh. You know, like it was just, it's the, the lack of care for Americans, I think all time transparently clear, you know, in, in almost every policy, (laughs) almost every single. It's literally about paying out their friends, whoever Mm -hmm. those friends are, Mm -hmm. you know, Granholm's got tons of investments in EV battery companies, the EPA chair. Yep. Right, her husband runs a consulting firm for battery companies. Uh, this is just this is just a naked handout, right? That's all this is. Oh, and yeah, yeah. And you know, the most frustrating part of it is, I mean, this this seems so obvious, right? I mean, it is obvious, but there are just so many people wrapped up in that emotional rhetoric of the Democratic mm. Party that somehow yep. this is compassionate. Somehow this is compassionate, <laughs> <laughs> and like yeah. for the worker. For the for the right. American family, for for sure. the marginalized, for the person yeah. who's hurting, like it's just it's astounding. It's like at what yeah. point? How many times would you have to be slapped across the face with the reality that your party is 
truly for the rich and the elite and the established and the people who will never for the most part feel the the um consequences of you know what what the rest of us are feeling it's right pretty astounding but we've talked for a long time you've enlightened me you've <laughs> depressed me <laughs> not, not, nothing nothing new i mean i i, I uh what it's already what, depressing yeah right what what op, what's what's something optimistic we could leave our our listeners with you think want to end on one high note got it yeah so i think um you know i think this is an eye-opening sort of time i think you have people realizing that um you know when their budgets are getting tight they realize what is important to them Hopefully you have people realizing that things like family, um, you know, and, and people my age, you know, their children, you know, these are the more important things. And you've got to, you know, if you're, if you're being forced to, you know, pare down your budget, you've got to figure out what's really important in life. And look, I'm somebody who, you know, I would, I would be happy to tolerate a reduction in GDP growth for the right things. Um, but these aren't the right things. Yeah. Um, but I think we're, uh, people are, are, are recognizing that, uh, you know, if we're going to be made to suffer like this, then, you know, we have to, we have to look back on those. We have to find those things that are really valuable. I think that's uh, really true. And number one, like faith. I mean, that's a big one. Yes. Yes. I think it does. Um, I don't like how there's a, a trend within some, some commentators in Christianity that sort of suggests like, we should be suffering because suffering is so much better for, I, you know, I'm, that's not what you're saying. Um, I appreciate what you're saying of when, when things do get difficult, especially um, for reasons like this, yeah. it really can drive people to look towards something beyond the government, right? Because the government is failing so spectacularly right. so right. look to god look to your community right. prioritize your fight your family um you know making yeah. them anti-fragile um not susceptible to some of this stuff i think yeah, i mean I, I you know suff suffering is certainly redemptive but i mean that it, it doesn't mean that we want to create as much of it as possible <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know this, exactly. that's not the point uh, yes, you know, God can certainly use suffering, but he does not call upon us to try to create situations yeah. for suffering. That would be a crime. That would be, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. that would be bad. Yeah, so it's an interesting, that would be an interesting conversation to have sometime, the, the rhetoric <laughs> of suffering as, as it's yeah. used in American politics. But sure. another time, I will let you go, but thank you so much for chatting with me. It was really, Thanks. really um informative. I've... Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Appreciate thanks it. so much. You have a good rest of your day. You too, thanks.